Hello. Thanks for listening and joining us on the Be Yourself Happy, Healthy, Hopeful podcast. I'm your host, Steph, a health promoter from the Bulimia Anorexia Nervosa Association here in Windsor, Ontario. On this podcast, we explore topics related to health, mental wellness, and creating a happy, healthy, and hopeful life full of opportunities for yourself. Today, my guest is former CFL footballer and mental health advocate, Frank Reno. Frank speaks openly and candidly about how he has been dealing with mental health struggles throughout his whole life. He was first diagnosed with anxiety and depression in high school, and then after a manic episode in 2018, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Frank describes himself as a journeyman and now views his mental health diagnoses as a gift. Frank was a linebacker who played at the University of Windsor and then professionally with the Winnipeg Boo Bombers and Hamilton Tiger Cats. After two knee injuries, his football career came to an end and he played his last game in 2018. In this discussion, we cover so many topics related to mental health. We talk about how mental health could be viewed more broadly and more neutral. We talk about our own evolution of our self-care practices and what it is to have a self-care soup. Frank touches upon how energy has played a role in elevating his mood and how the ego aims to protect us against being vulnerable. We talk about the importance of listening to understand as a caregiver and of being of service to self before taking care of anyone else. This conversation does also cover how social media is a place that perpetuates fear and lack-based feelings. And we also finish by talking about the power of self-love. I truly connected deeply with Frank's authenticity and thoughtfulness in our conversation. Our talk really does encourage us to look at mental health more broadly and in a more accepting way as well as being more gentle with ourselves as we evolve. Thanks again, Frank, for being my guest on today's episode. I truly enjoyed it, and I know our audience will too. Here we go. I hope you enjoy my talk with Frank Reno. Okay, so we're going to get started. I am so excited to have Frank Reno as my guest today on the Banna podcast. Thanks for listening. Um, we are doing the social distance style, so I apologize if we have any um, audio issues or any unexpected sounds come through the background. I know I heard a dog barking here a little bit earlier, so hopefully you guys don't hear that today. Um, but as I said, my guest is Frank Reno. How's it going, Frank? How are you today? I'm great. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. I... Um, I was telling Frank before I started recording that, you know, I do know some things about him, but I don't know everything. I did some initial research. Um, so I'm excited to get to know you more. So if you had to describe yourself, who you are, what you do, what would you say? It's a great question because I can't quite put my finger on one specific thing that I feel that I am. Um, at this point in my life, after playing professional football, I feel like I'm, uh, the, the word that came to mind when you start asking the question, I don't know if it resonates, but I feel like a journeyman, like I'm just kind of mm. on an adventure. And so that really allows me to just land where I land in the moment. 
Um, some days I'm a mover. Some days I'm a motivator. Some days I'm a coach. Some days I'm a friend. Well, I hope I'm a friend every day, but you know what I mean? Um, yeah. just depends on, it depends on the environment where, where I need to adapt, but I do, I, I'm a man of many, many things, mm. many, many things. Multifaceted, right? Yeah, I love that word. Thank you. Yes, yeah. and we all are multifaceted. I think that's what makes us interesting, and that's what makes us human, really. Um, you mentioned your background as a football player. So I know that you did play for the University of Windsor, and then you also played in the CFL. Um, was it yeah. for Winnipeg, right? And Hamilton? Yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and the reason that we asked you on today was now you talk a lot more about mental health and you are yes. an advocate and very open about this. So how did you find yourself in this position to be talking about mental health so openly? Well, it all started when I, I saw an issue, I saw a problem and I felt like there needed to be a solution for it. I saw it before it happened to me, and then when it happened to me, I was like, nope, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I'm not doing this again. And then I started re-recognizing that, what, like, where, where do I fit in in all of this? Mm-hmm. Because if my attention was brought to it, it was brought to it for a reason. Mm-hmm. Maybe my attention was brought to it so that I could help in some fashion. And that's, that's a big part of what I feel is meant for me in the world is just to help other people. And that's what I feel in my experience, what everybody's purpose is here to do, to help others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would have to agree. And I also feel like nothing happens not on purpose. I think that we're Mm -hmm. we're definitely guided to certain situations, um, certain obstacles, or even like going through the pain of something. It always, I think, in the end has a... A purpose like you said so can you tell me more about um, your own mental health diagnoses yeah so um, back in high school I, I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression it wasn't until university that something bigger started happening um, I wasn't really taking medication in university uh, until the end of my university career where I, I was cl- like fully diagnosed as clinically depressed. And after that, I was taking medication and in 2018, I was diagnosed as bipolar. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of in a nutshell, that's kind of like the sequence. It went anxiety, depression, bipolar. Mm-hmm. And so that's where that's where I land in the clinical diagnosis world of mental health. Right. Um, and I've heard you describe it in the research that I did do as your diagnosis as being a gift. Um, yes. So kind of going along with what we've already said in terms of purpose, but why do you describe it that way? I describe it as a gift because now when I get to do what I feel I'm here to do, it's kind of like a degree. I have I have a qualification that when people hear what I say, they can't say, Frank, you don't know what I'm going through. Because mm-hmm. I can say, yes, I know 
what you're going through. Mm -hmm. And so I say that because when it comes to the mental health game, mental illnesses and the whole bit, a lot of what happens in it is the sense of you don't know. You don't know. And I get it. I get it because what we don't know are the specifics of what happens. What I do know is that there is a common theme over every situation that is what pulls us all together. And that's my goal is to help bring light to the commonality of everybody so that we understand that maybe mental health and mental illness, maybe it's not as difficult as we're making it out to be. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting thought, actually. I don't think I've ever thought of it that way, to be honest, of maybe it's not so hard. So that's kind of cool. Um, and I guess you bring up the point of stigma, really, that exists in the world. And people feeling like, oh, what if I come forward with the struggles that I'm having, what will it say about me as you know, maybe a father or a sister or in my role at work, will people perceive me to be capable? Um, what would you say to someone maybe like struggling to come forward with their struggles to someone? What would you say? What kind of freedom could that give them? Okay, so what I would say to them is that literally what we talk about in terms of these discussions, it's okay not to be okay. Now, when I say that, a lot of people are like, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. But I always say, like, let's go deeper. When I say it's okay not to be okay, I know you know. Because it's very clear it's okay not to be okay. Now, when we go deeper, we say, and this is where I went deeper with it. I said, okay, I am not okay. And I sit in that. And now I'm going to do something. I'm going to put... I'm going to put a picture to it. So if being okay is sitting in the light mm -hmm. and not being okay is sitting in darkness. When we're in the light, we don't get upset about it. We're in the light. But when we're in the dark, all of a sudden it's a big issue. Yeah. Now, what if we treated both situations as equal? Yeah. What if we were in the dark and we accepted the darkness for what it is, just like we accept the light for what it is. Mm -hmm. So acceptance. Yeah, acceptance. And I'm going to bring a little bit of like philosophy and stuff into this. I like it. But with in Taoism, flow is a combination of discipline and surrender. Everybody seems to understand discipline because we are all disciplined. We're still here. We're doing the things. What I find was most challenging for me. And then once I started to surrender, to surrender, I started understanding that it's okay not to be okay means that when I am in the dark, the darkness does not mean the end, just like the light doesn't mean the end. Mm -hmm. The light teaches me things, and so does the darkness. And so if I can sit in the dark and learn something from the darkness, maybe, just maybe, I won't be so afraid of my dark, and I'll embrace my darkness. 
just like I embrace my light. Everybody wants to embrace the good stuff and nobody wants to embrace the bad. Now, what if we embrace the bad just as much as we embrace the good? And so then I get a lot of things. Well, Frank, I go through a lot of shitty stuff. Mm -hmm. I hate it. My life is hard. And I say, I get it. So let's take another visual and let's, let's, let's flip it. Mm -hmm. Light is okay. Dark is not okay. What if light is wins and darkness is not losses, but lessons? Right. Yeah, we can learn so much from taking a more broader perspective, as you're explaining, um, in terms of our thoughts and our emotions, or getting further away from the emotion. I know that's something that is taught in therapy that we do with our clients at BANA is to, you know, challenge that thought where we learned it, or maybe even like you're, you're saying, providing more of that um, neutral perspective when, it, when you're looking at your thought or your emotion. So I really do love that. Um, so now where you are in your journey, as a journeyman, as you said. <laughs> um, <laughs> so now tell me more about your mental health and what, what positive mental health means to you. So here's a beautiful thing about mental health. Again, when we can start understanding how things work okay so we have physical health right mm -hmm. and physical health looks different to everybody i go to the gym i do yoga i see people doing trx i see people doing cardio for an hour i don't want to do that does that mean that i don't like what they're doing or i don't like them no it just means that i don't want to do that mm -hmm. so now understanding that about physical health what if we took that same perspective on mental health? And that's where the conversation gets interesting because we can see physical health, but we can't see mental health. So I bring up this concept of mine that I've created called the mental gym. Mm -hmm. And what's beautiful about the mental gym is that your mental gym can be anything that you need to help yourself feel better right so for you what are those what are some of those i guess you're talking about self-care practices or yep. um what are some of those practical things that you might do to make you feel better okay yeah so for me actually i was just thinking about it. i was so this morning i had um with my moving business i have some guys on the move mm -hmm. i do intermittent fasting and i noticed that i was getting a little bit tired and i was like okay frank we're hungry so let's you know 12 o'clock and eat and I was like, okay, what do I want to eat? What do I love to eat? I ask myself all the time, what do you love? Love, love. I love oxtail. I get it from Caribbean Island Spice down the street from my house. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go get me some food that I love, made by people who love to make it and who love put love into their food. I'm going to eat that. That makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. Other self-care things that I do that work for me. I love to go to the gym. I love to do yoga. I love to play video games. I love to play with my cats. I love to see my friends. And I also love to spend time alone. There's mm -hmm. so many, there's so many components to this self-care routine. And what's beautiful about my self-care routine is that it's in constant evolution. Constant evolution because I recognize 
that if something doesn't sit well with me and disturbs my peace, then in that moment, I get to question it. Like the darkness. The darkness is disturbing my peace and the light. So what about that must I address? Mm -hmm. And then from the observational perspective, I recognize that there's something that I can work on and add it to my my recipe. Mm -hmm. I like how you described it that way, um, that it's in constant evolution. Because some feedback I think I've heard... Um, from someone in a place where, you know, the emotion is taking over is they see it as a chore, right? Because, yeah, because, um, for example, like journaling, someone might say like, you want me to journal right now? Like I can't even like get out, uh, out of my bed or whatever it might be. So it's like the small acts as you put it, like, what do I love? And it could be really so simple as putting on that, like, a favorite song in the morning even if you couldn't get out of bed that day um, so I'm really glad that you did kind of highlight the fact that this is an evolution it's not gonna always happen over it doesn't have to be huge it doesn't have to be um, so grandiose but it's just really bringing you back to nourishing that part of you that needs it mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah. uh it, it, I kind of I use this analogy of like uh I've heard it before it's kind of like a soup Mm. we we get to in life in life we get to make our own little soup or big soup however big you want it to be it doesn't matter it's soup (laughs) so when we're born we all get given the same 500 ingredients and we get to make a soup now what's what's challenging about this is that sometimes we don't have a choice in what we get to put in our soup yeah other people put stuff in our soup but it's still our soup. And there comes a time in our life where there's an opportunity to, to make our own soup without anybody else putting in their own ingredients. So now, are we going to let the soup sit as it is or are we going to change it to make it a soup that tastes good to us? And that's a big challenge in life because a lot of the time we don't do things for ourselves. We don't make our own soup that tastes good. We make a soup that tastes good for others. Mm-hmm. And so... When we learn to understand that, it's important to make a soup that tastes good for us first and everything will work out from there. You know, I started practicing that. I said, okay, what is going to work for me in my life? Let me just focus on me. And I'm just going to make sure that whatever I do is for me right now because I need me. Right. And everything else will come from that. And once I started focusing on, on that, it's, in, it's just it's just so beautiful how everything just started opening up from there and I don't I don't know what what's to come I just know that once I started going inward to focus on what I need it started it started working it started working yeah and I totally yeah. agree with that um, it's an awesome analogy because there's a lot of external voices that have an impact on us. Um, and kind of like a, from a young age, been, we've been programmed to uh, be influenced by those external voices, whether it be our parents or in a lot of uh, the cases at BANA, the media, you know, having an influence on how we should look or all of these things. And it's, it's really hard to let go of that. But I totally agree that once you do, 
um, something happens. There's like some magic that happens where someone says, you're doing it right, right? <laughs> That's why we're here. And I heard you, um, I have started following you on Instagram and I, I did see some things related to self-love, which I'm also very passionate about. Um, and as we were saying, it's kind of like once you start giving yourself that love, things start working. Um, and maybe it's kind of providing yourself that light, like you were talking about. Um, so how, how do you perceive self-love and like you acting as the light right now in your life? So I was actually, you know, I was thinking about that. Okay. So it's kind of a heavy, like all, to be honest, every single question in and of itself is like easily an hour discussion because there's so many, (laughs) it's like so much to it. What I see, what I see in the world right now is a lot of dark. Mm-hmm. And what I'm seeing, and, and that's okay. Again, like it's okay. What's hard is that people are not used to finally facing the dark yeah. because we spend so much time leaning on people or leaning on something to be the light, quote unquote, whatever that means to whoever it means. Yeah, it's an open, it's an open expression or interpretation. Um, so what I recognize right now, like. If, if I can be fully transparent about my, my journey, uh, my journey has really led me to a very uh, spiritual adventure. Mm-hmm. And along the spiritual adventure, it's taught, me, um, it's taught me a lot about energy. And what I'm able to do is I'm able to recognize the connection between the spiritual adventure and the things that I've learned through these diagnoses and just in life all around me. And so, and as I observe it more, it's starting to make more and more sense Mm -hmm. to me. It really made sense and it resonates. And with this, with the fact that it resonates, it really provides me the opportunity to share the information that I receive with people. And that's why I'm so thankful for my experience. So when I talk about energy in, in this, in this line of, in this line of work or this adventure that I'm on energy frequencies, range from there's two there's two areas so there's love and then there's fear and however you want to see it love let me see how i can do this <laughs> love and fear it doesn't matter which way you put it but there's a frequency of love that we all vibrate in or there's a frequency of fear that we vibrate in and then there's smaller smaller numbers in between so if love was a hundred and fear is negative 100. Everything in between that is a frequency in between. And so what happens is, is that people tend to vibrate kind of like a magnet. You know, as they say, opposites attract. Mm-hmm. So in some sense, people are vibrating to look for that light or that frequency. And so what I recognize right now is that there's there's another layer to this. But that, that's for another question that uh, we've, we've already talked about. But all in all to say is that I recognize that there are certain things that I've been uh, gifted with in terms of understanding that I get to share with people. And I see now that it resonates with many. So I see where I see where my influence lies in the community. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very proud to be able to hold that position and learn how to embrace it. Because before I recognized that I was in that position, but I wasn't ready to embrace it. And just now I'm starting to see that it's a position that is needed. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's pretty beautiful too. And like, no matter how, what made me think when you were talking was, it's like, no matter how this is described to someone or how it it resonates with one, you know, in some instances, like I too can relate to like that energy and, and, you know, where do I sit on that energy spectrum daily? And how can I bring myself, you know, maybe perhaps more to that gratitude and love? I definitely resonate with that. Someone else might think, you know, um, that they operate more on schedules and they're like, and routines. And for them, they think, I need uh, to do this, this, and this to make me feel a little bit better. I think no matter how it is described to someone, that um, whatever works is really is really the bottom line of how to bring yourself to like function in your positive mental health state, right? I agree. It's really it's like it's your like like we said it's your suit. Yeah. So and that's where. I don't know if you were going to go to this, but that's where this conversation of the ego comes in. Yeah, I was going to get to that. So let's let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, sick. Because that that topic that is the the devil's advocate to everything mental health, and that's what I'm really excited to share more about as I continue on my adventure. Because the ego, the ego is is our best friend and worst enemy at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so when I say that, I say our best friend, because the ego serves a grand purpose to protect us from pain, from sadness, from guilt, from shame. And the ego will do everything in its power to make sure that we do not look vulnerable. Mm-hmm which makes sense, right? The ego is there to protect us and the ego is developed in our childhood. So it's conditioned in our childhood based on our environment. And the ego is subconscious. We don't consciously act out of the ego. It's a subconscious. So it's a subconscious learning for our entire childhood. And I call this survival mode. I call it survival mode because the conditions are outside of our control. So we are responsible for surviving and the ego is responsible for guiding us to our survival. It's kind of that protector against vulnerability and um, like you mentioned, and I kind of wanted to continue that discussion about vulnerability because I've, I've found, and I believe a lot would agree that yes, it's so scary to be vulnerable, but once you are vulnerable and, um, you know, show your true authentic self, although painful, that's where the most healing comes from. And then the most authenticity as well, um, that people can really relate to, I believe. Um, so yeah, I think that's all I wanted to say about that, but yes. So when we talk about the ego and we talk about vulnerability, I'm going to use the, uh, the kind of analogy or example of actually when I had my knee surgery. Mm-hmm. So I knew I had a torn ACL. If I was walking down the street, nobody would know that I had a torn ACL. But if you were to come over to me and bump into me, mm-hmm. you would have probably noticed that I had something wrong. Right? 
So you would have triggered me and I would have been, it would have been very clear that something's wrong. Mm -hmm. And then you would have said, are you okay? I would have said, I'm fine. And I keep walking. But you know that something's not okay, right? Because it's there. You can't hide the truth. (laughs) The truth is there. We may not know what the truth is, but the truth is always there. And so I say that because I can't see what's wrong with you. I don't know if you have a torn ACL. I don't know what trauma you've been through. I don't know. But when I'm asking, it's probably from an experience that I've had of you. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, so there's an experience that I've had of you. And that experience has Mm -hmm. brought me to ask a question to check in because I care and I want to know. Now, we live in a world where vulnerability means weakness right now. Yeah. And I encourage people to consider maybe, just maybe, vulnerability doesn't mean weakness. Maybe vulnerability means strength. Because when I have that torn ACL and I go to somebody and I say, hey, I need help. That person will say, Frank, what do you need help with? My, my knee hurts. I have a torn ACL. And then they say, Frank, I can't help you. Okay. I can't help you. Not because I don't want to, but because I don't know how to fix a torn ACL. But let me tell you what, you now have two people who know about your torn ACL. Let's go find a third. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And thus begins the adventure of fixing the torn ACL. And it turns out that I could have spent a year walking around on a torn ACL. Nobody would have known. But because I reached out to somebody, somebody knows. Yeah. 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 And it, you kind of bring up an interesting point, too, and that somehow in terms of like physical issues, um, people feel like very much more comfortable to be vulnerable about that. Somehow like society is like, that's OK. <laughs> Whereas in mental health, um, due to things that we've kind of already discussed, like stigma, people don't feel as comfortable as as saying it. Um, But even just having that one person that might know, it could go such a long way, right? Yeah. 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 And and so, like, speaking to, like, vulnerability and the stigma and everything, this is is conditioning. We've been conditioned not to be vulnerable. And, and like, again, this is another three-hour discussion, but in a nutshell... Right in in professional sports, mm-hmm. are you okay? Yep, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Nothing's wrong. Mm-hmm. Why can't I be vulnerable? I can't be vulnerable because if they know that something's wrong, then I can't play. If I don't play when I'm in high school, I don't get the reps so I can go to university. When I'm in university, I don't get the reps so I can play. So I want to go pro. And if I don't, if I do when I'm pro, then I don't get paid. So there's this conditioning that if I show vulnerability, I don't get to do the things. Yeah. And so that's part of conditioning of the ego. The ego is conditioned. So that's what I find is so challenging as a as an athlete. And I get it. And the, the, the reason why I say I find like I get it because I, I went through the conditioning. Yeah. I was conditioned not to be vulnerable. And then I decided to go completely against the conditioning and face it and say, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna figure this out because something doesn't add up. I'm not being vulnerable like I was in football, but why do I feel like something doesn't make sense? And then I said, whoa, okay, Frank, you need help. 
Mm-hmm. What can you do? Yeah, it's a it's a brave step to take as well, um, especially if there is like a lot at, at stake, right? Um, and you mentioned the sports industry um, and how particularly, I actually wanted to ask you about this, like particularly within football, which is such a, you know, masculine sport, I would probably describe it as that. Maybe there's like some bravado and, and macho-ness about it. Um, and I think that goes back a long way. Um, but do you think that the sports industry perpetuates this in a toxic way and maybe prevents men from sharing their own struggles? And how? Okay. So again, another loaded question, but I'll, I'll <laughs> I keep know. it. I'll That's keep a big it. one. You know, I love it. I love it because this is this is talking about mental health. This is literally having the discussion, right? This mm-hmm. is clearing the mud so people can see it from many perspectives. Mm-hmm. And so I want to share that anything that I say is not to attack. Oh, my cat is attacking the golf clubs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're having animal issues today. Yeah, no kidding. All the animals are everywhere. Um, but yeah, so it's it's understanding that this is my experience. This isn't me bashing. Mm-hmm. This is me understanding on a very deep level that this is nobody's fault. This is this this is the conditioning of years and years and decades and centuries. This is what it is. And so to to answer your question goes back to this in perfect like if we start at the top, right, at the head of the snake, I suppose, in professional sports, athletes who have nothing are given millions of dollars, generational money. If they get this money, their children's children's children will never have to go through the suffering and anguish and struggle that they went through. So when I'm 12 years old and I'm suffering and I'm going through all my BS that I'm going through and I'm playing football and I look up and I see a 27-year-old not suffering, so as far as I can see, not suffering making money, Mm -hmm. getting the girls, getting the cars, getting all the things. What kind of conditioning do you think I'm being, I'm being conditioned? Yeah, yeah. So I see that. And so then we take a step down from that, right? So now I'm in university and I look and and now I'm in university and I see that I have a full ride scholarship. I've got a full ride scholarship. And now you think back to the 12 year old kid that looks at the full ride scholarship and then looks at what it leads to from the full ride scholarship and thinks, okay, if I keep going, I will get the full ride scholarship and then I'll get the, the millions of dollars and save my family. Yeah. And then we go a step down from that. So we got high school. Oh shoot. So if I keep doing this and I get to go to high school and play football, which will allow me to go to university on a full ride, which will then allow me to play professional sports. Right. So all of these levels are created from the dream at the top. Yeah. The end, right? And so then to, again, to go back to this idea of vulnerability and the whole bit, that is deeply ingrained in the system already. So it comes with the territory because in, in professional sports, there's a lot of football players that are not okay. Yeah. And they get pumped with, they get pumped with 
braces and spatting and taping and drugs, whatever it takes to keep the show going. But we don't see this when we're 12. We don't see this when we're in university. We don't see this when we're in high school. Yeah. We don't see any of that. We just see the star when it's shining, collecting the money. We see them in the light. We don't see them in the dark. And then the problem is that because we don't know the darkness, we never get to be conditioned to the darkness. We just get conditioned to the light. So the entire system conditions us to the light and pretends like the darkness isn't there. And so what happens is when the darkness comes up, which it will because it's a part of the game, we're not ready for the darkness and then it consumes us. Mm. That was really um, well described. And I actually think if someone, hopefully by saying that, if someone younger is listening, that they're able to, you know, take that perspective. Although I know that's really tough at that age when you are perhaps in a suffering position. Yeah, That's where we as leaders in the community, we have an opportunity to change the future and not change it in a manipulative, controlling way. I'll, I'll change the word change. We have an opportunity to empower the future because there's things that we've gone through that we do not like. And so that's exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing. I went through some very shitty situations that I did not like. And I'm standing here and I'm saying, I don't like it, but I'm not going to sit quiet and let other people go through it too. Mm -hmm. Especially when I know that everybody around me is going through something. I know that this issue is one that not a single person in the world is not going through and thus it brings up the point of the stigma people are saying and the stigma and the stigma what is a stigma i'll tell you what the stigma is the stigma is that people believe that they're an exception to the to the mental health game and so people believe they're an exception to mental health because they believe they're an exception to vulnerability and they've been conditioned so it's not their fault Mm -hmm. so when i say this don't feel attacked. And I'm not saying you specifically, but just if you're mm-hmm. listening, don't feel attacked. Understand that this is conditioning. We've been conditioned not to be vulnerable. And we've been conditioned to believe that if we show somebody we're not okay, it will somehow make us crumble. But maybe it will make us crumble. And maybe if we understand that it makes us crumble to build us back up, maybe we'll understand that that crumble is important and is part of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I I really do think um, that we all have this responsibility to share. Um, and the lessons that we get, they do need to be passed on in order to redefine the narrative that is going on, um, whether it be for mental health or any other particular issue that someone has lived through. I wanted to ask you too, um, I know I can relate to this topic in terms of my own mental health and seeking out support. Um, And it is difficult because perhaps of the conditioning or um, preconceived ideas that people do have. um, I know it, it was very difficult for me to get people to understand that maybe I just wasn't being diff. Oh, maybe I'm not being difficult, or um, I um, I'm having a bad day. But maybe there's nothing actually bad in my life, right? So all of this understanding. So when you go to people for support, sometimes it's not received in the right way, and then I know I would feel a little bit even more empty. 
So um, in terms of supporting someone in your life who might be going through it, what would you what advice could you give to those people who want to be of of support to someone um who is struggling okay um so that's that's a great question and it's not a hard answer for this one we all need just a little bit more listening to understand not listening to respond and so when mm-hmm. i say that listening to understand understand what people are going through and when we listen to respond we're not actually listening to the words we are creating a discussion to go in a direction that we want it to go and that brings up the topic of the ego the ego doesn't want to feel vulnerable and in turn when the ego hears that something is wrong with somebody else the ego will internalize that something is wrong with me so i need to direct this conversation so as to not seem vulnerable. So now when I'm coming for help and somebody's speaking from the ego, I can't even talk about what I'm going through when I need to talk about it because the conversation has been twisted to feeling bad. And so that that's about a very complicated, a very uh, difficult rather challenge mental health so when i went through what i went through one of the most challenging parts about it was that when i would share what i'm going through people weren't actually listening to what i was saying they were interpreting from their experience Mm -hmm. what i was going through Mm -hmm. and so that's what happens to a lot of people is that we share And nobody's actually listening to what we're saying. They're just listening to what they want to hear and then going off of that. And I get it. The reason why I get it is because actually everybody's going through something. And so when I'm going through something bad and I'm empathetic to other people, I tend to wear what other people are going through. And what happens is we don't want to wear what other people are going through. Mm -hmm. So we will immediately build a defense mechanism so we don't have to listen to what they're going through. So we create a story. And that story, in turn, deflects everything they're saying. So we're not listening. We're creating another story. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's interesting. Yeah. And I, I, I can't wait to dive into that more in later discussions. But all that to say is, if we can learn to listen to understand, listening to understand means that I'm clearing. Okay, it's not about me. This conversation, this conversation is not about me. So everything that that person says is not a reflection of me. And to be able to do that is to step away from the ego because the ego pers- the ego is attachment. The ego internalizes and personalizes everything. So I know when I'm sharing a story and somebody says, I know. Or when somebody says, oh, that's not me. And I was never talking about them. Mm-hmm. I was talking about my story. I know that's the ego because the ego doesn't want to be vulnerable. The ego says, I know. The ego says, that's not me. The ego deflects deflect deflect and so if we can recognize when our ego comes up we can recognize what we're doing as a disservice to our friends Mm -hmm. i'm a disservice to my friend when they're talking to me about their troubles and i say i know because i don't know if i knew then i would be going through what they're going through i don't know that's Mm -hmm. 
I think really simply put, I, I like the line that you said just regarding um, listen to understand. I think that's um, yeah. like the bottom line there. But um, I mean, I, I'm like, I'm just trying to like I'll play devil's advocate too because not everyone, someone might say, yeah, but I do have all this, 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 and this going on. Um, and and I know I've been in that position too, where I'm like, I can't help anyone right now. I got so much on my plate, right? Um, so, what are ways, maybe that can can help someone connect with um, themselves, perhaps, in order to kind of clear out some of that where they're in a position when they can help? Sorry, that okay. might be like a loaded question too. That's perfect. <laughs> I love it. Um, so. It's, it's it's a challenge because first things first, you have to protect and take care of yourself. So I use this analogy when I talk to people and say, what's two without one? How can I be of service to somebody if I haven't served myself first? Yeah, You can't pour an empty cup. And so the challenge right now is that, and, and where, I'm, where I'm thankful that I've done a lot of the work, but like the work is never done because as you go deeper, you recognize that there's more you get to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be of service to somebody else, I must be of service to myself. So if I haven't healed from a childhood trauma, that is a not, not the same story that somebody's gone through, but in the same lane, let's say, let's say abandonment issue, right? If I haven't been able to face my abandonment issues, I can't help somebody else face their abandonment issues because when they say something about abandonment, that's going to trigger me and I'm going to go into my mind and be in my place. And that that's like automatic. Yeah. It's like, it's like automatic. And that's why I applaud therapists so much because they've probably had a lot of trauma and they're very receive somebody else's trauma and truth and then heal and get so that's why I love I love having a therapist have an issue I go to them and they feel it and then I can also trust that they won't wear it and go home and not be triggered by it so it's actually it's it's actually a challenge but it's it's about sitting with your own demons and and facing them and 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 really, again, living in that darkness and, and understanding, okay, why is the darkness here? What was that moment that it sparked? What is, what is that? What is the source of the pain? And once you find the source of the pain, you can sit with it, acknowledge it, embrace it as a lesson. And it is no longer pain. It's a lesson. And then it lets go. And now you're free from that pain you've been holding on to for so long. Mm-hmm. So the hard part is that everybody's got something. Yeah. And so how can we service to others if we haven't been of service to ourselves? And a lot of people are finding it hard to be of service to themselves because that means I have to, for the first time in my life, face myself and all the shit that I've been through. Yeah. And that's not easy. No, it's not, not easy. easy. Not easy at all. And um, I think you brought up a, a good point about the therapists. I always say that they are... Um, like people who are in the healing and helping field, usually they are the ones who've gone through it the most is what I've observed. And that's because like you said at the top, like they, they can relate to you. And, and like you said, like you do know, um, but that makes yeah. you of better service too. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. 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 So I just wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk about social media because, um, actually that's how this, this podcast got started. It really, we talk a lot about social media at Banna and its influence on the way we feel about ourselves. Um, and we originally had this research project and this was an after, um, project that like coincided with it. So, um, we always like to bring it back to social media. So if, how do you think, um, social media plays a role in our own self-esteem and our own mental health? Okay. Um, another great question. So, um, (laughs) I've actually, I've been able to shift my intention of social media. And so when, when we talk about social media, I want to like extrapolate or get outside of social media and the device that we're using to access social media. We all have a phone. That phone is a miniature version of a television. That television, when we were younger, showed us ads and marketing and the whole bit. We'd sit at home and we'd watch ads and we'd see makeup and da-da-da, right? We'd Mm -hmm. see a lot of advertisement for us to buy things. In order for us to buy things, we had to feel some kind of emotional attachment to the thing to buy it. But now what this the thing is is that we have a TV on our phone. And that TV on our phone has a ton of advertisements that goes to social media. So now the social media itself is a, in essence, another, another television show, television show, television show. (laughs) Uh, And so right now the conditioning or the heavy conditioning of social media is that it's a television show and we're all watching each other living. Yeah. During the television, that is Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, da 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 And so we've all been conditioned to put on a show. We're conditioned to put on a show for other people on social media. And so in combination with putting on a show and not being vulnerable, now we've all developed in some fashion or another a mask. Yeah. And so everybody's prancing around in a mask and they don't even know it. And when you, when we recognize that all of these tools have been, they were, they were created to help us, but just the natural conditioning of all of these events has led us to not, not live in love about it, but live in fear and comparison. And now we have an advertisement every time you scroll down your page and, you know, a couple, you know, two or three swipes and you're looking at an ad that says, you need this to be better. You need that to be better. Mm-hmm. And so that in combination with the conditioning of comparison, the conditioning of unworthiness, the conditioning of all these essentially fear-based qualities, you know, when we scroll through social media, we're so conditioned by fear and lack and, and unworthiness and all these, all these things. And so to be honest, you know, social media is a very, it's an environment that's really sick. It really is like the the majority of the majority of social media, in my opinion, is an illness of itself. There's an addiction to it. There's a there's this there's this. It just you know people are people are filtering their face. They're like mm-hmm. yeah you, you know we all have beautiful faces and we put filters on them. Why do we put filters on them? 
because we don't believe we look great the way we are. And then why is that? Because we were told that we need makeup and we need, you know, perfect eyebrows and we need perfect lips and we need this and that. So we've been made to feel like we're not worthy. And so this is all happening right before our eyes. We're being conditioned to hate ourselves. And that's happening every moment that we take a Snapchat with a filter. It's happening every moment that we scroll through and we see something, you know, and, we, and we're all applauding for each other with a filter. We're all applauding for inauthenticity. Mm-hmm. We're all applauding for all of these things. So I'm not mad at anybody because I understand that it's conditioning. But it's at the moment that we can wake up and recognize that we're all being conditioned to hate ourselves, then we recognize that we've got to make a shift in our mentality with social media. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing on social media. Yeah. If I showed you the back end of the results of what I'm doing, it's really funny because it's a double-edged sword. But it's 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 being it's not being met in the way that you would expect <laughs> hmm can you say more so my experience with social media is very fear-based judgment you no know, a lot of judgment a lot of con- condemning a lot of just separation and so i've been able to find and, and gravitate towards a group of people that really have this belief that love is the answer and so do i and so i notice that when i share when I share love and when I share my truth, it doesn't resonate with as many people. Mm-hmm. And I recognize I'm not mad about it. I just, it's an observation that I make. And so when we talk about frequencies and love in the whole bit, I recognize now that maybe it's hard for people to accept love in its authentic and true form. And not because they don't want to, but because they've been conditioned to experience love in the opposite. Love mm-hmm. right now is, is experienced as I hate you. I hate you. I'm going to hit you. I'm going to be sarcastic tone to you. I'm going to talk shit to you. That's love. And if, if I'm being honest, I understand that's love in, in that experience of love. That's love to the depth that they understand love. And so when love is seen as in its authentic and true form, to my experience of what I believe love is, it, it might not resonate with people. Yeah. So I just, it, it's it's an interesting topic and I can't quite explain it all in five minutes, but if I were to say in a nutshell, I believe that the world is upside down. I believe that current the current state of the world is that fear has been masked as love. And so anything that is not fear masked as love is shot down because people don't realize that that it's backward. Mm-hmm. We're so far backwards that it looks like we're going forward. And I use this analogy and I'll share with you. It's kind of like a wheel. So if clockwise was love and counterclockwise was fear, mm-hmm. imagine when a wheel spins fast enough, it looks like it's going the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can, I can relate to that too. Um, being online, I... I also try to promote more of that positivity and self-loving message. Um, And in the past, I talked a lot more. I'm I'm trained as a nutritionist. And in the past, I talked a lot more about, you know, food and like superfoods and what is considered healthy. But then since my time at BANA, I've kind of taken more of a different perspective on that, like being more you know, all foods fit kind of mentality. So my message has shifted more to, you know, self-acceptance, loving what you are. 
And it's it, just the engagement on, you know, these types of posts where I'm, I'm talking more about self-love versus talking more about like a recipe. It's so interesting. I get lots more on like a, a certain recipe that someone might maybe think, oh, this could change my weight, shape or size versus what, what really needs work is like the internal. Um, so I know what you mean and I'm trying to frame it because I want to be of service as well. Um, I'm trying to learn how to frame that in a way where it, it does like, you know, reach people in a way that they could digest it. So I, well, I, do you mind if I add to that? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So the, the beautiful thing about this adventure of spreading love is recognizing that we can't save everybody. Yeah. So the truth is, you know, people can only save themselves when they're ready. So we can scream, you know, this or that, you know, this matters, that matters, listen to this, do this, do that, self-love. People are going to only listen when they're ready. And so people only understand to their level of understanding. And so what's beautiful about this adventure of spreading love, it's kind of like like wildfire, right? At first, it's a one little spark, right? And so you might be the one little spark of that source of light. And what happens is you touch another leaf. Mm -hmm. You didn't touch the leaf 3,000 miles from here, but you touched the leaf right next to you. And so what I recognize is that each individual in this world is a leaf and each one of us has a unique message that we can share in the word of love and so if i can touch 10 people around me and share love with them and they're inspired to share love in their own way and then those 10 to 10 next thing you know we're what so i go from one to 10 to 100 to a thousand you know what i mean to ten thousand to a hundred thousand and that's just how quickly it can change because if fear has brought us to this condition, love can also take us out. And it just takes, it takes, takes effort. It's not going to, it's not an easy, it's not an easy thing. And so all of that is, it's, it's all part of the whole mental health discussion because mental health is, is, is Mm self-love. Mental health is really self-love. And when we've been conditioned for so long not to love ourselves subconsciously, it's hard to, it's hard to come to face that. And so that's a big challenge and I'm excited to take that on because I feel like that's another part of why I'm here. I get to show people that self-love isn't selfish and that that moment where you're alone is not a moment where you're alone because you're being punished. It's a moment where you're being alone potentially so you can find yourself, so you can love yourself entirely and then allow the people who will also vibrate with you to be welcomed into your life because how can you accept love if you don't love yourself? Yeah, so true. It's so true. Um, so I'm getting near the end here of our talk. Um, I usually ask every guest this question um, because our podcast name is to be yourself, happy, healthy, and hopeful. Um, I ended off by asking, what might you be hopeful for in 2020 or going into 2021 and you can take that as you wish it could be personally or it could be for the world yeah um well speaking for the world what i'm really hopeful for is a world filled with love and and just where every corner is touched with love there's love is is limitless in its energy and so that's where i see the world going i see the world evolving out of darkness into light and i see the world changing right before our eyes 
Mm-hmm. Nice. That's beautiful. Um, okay. So if someone did want to follow you online or learn more about you, where could they learn about you? together yeah i started following frank recently and i watched some of his videos i think many people could find it really valuable as that source of inspiration uh, or of hope that if you are having a bad day so um i will leave your handle in the show notes when we do post this um i just wanted to thank you so much for uh you know, spending this time with me and sharing your own lived experience. I know I got a, a lot out of it and I'm sure those listening will too. Um, and I really appreciate your candidness and just being your own authentic self and being vulnerable, which was a, a theme of our talk today. Um, and if anyone is listening and would like to learn more about eating disorder services within Windsor Essex, please do visit our website, bana.ca, uh, B-A-N-A dot C-A. So once again, thank you so much, Frank. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the conversation. Yeah, this was really nice. Um, and I wish you the best in all your future endeavors and all your goals as well. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>